0: Welcome to the Multiply Your Success podcast, where each week we help growth-minded entrepreneurs and franchise leaders take the next step in their expansion journey. I'm your host, Tom Dufour, CEO of Big Sky Franchise Team, and the question to open this week is, how do you know if your business needs a patent, a trademark, or a copyright? Or maybe you've just wondered what the differences between patents, trademarks, and copyrights happen to be? And... Why are they important? What do they why do they even matter? And if you found yourself asking any of these questions before, then this episode is for you. Our guest today is Devin Miller, and he's the founder, managing partner and CEO of Miller IP Law a business that helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. Devin's previous clients include Amazon, Intel, Red Hat, and Ford, and he's previously been featured on other podcasts, including Bigger Pockets podcast and Wealth Junkies. So let's go ahead and jump right into my interview with Devin Miller.
1: Yeah, so name is Devin Miller, um, and I am the CEO founder of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and small businesses with patents, trademarks, and other intellectual property and business-related matters.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for being here. And one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show is because we share a similar customer and client base. I work predominantly with small businesses, small to mid-sized businesses that are growth-minded and growth-oriented. And we help companies franchise their business. And so at some point in time, inevitably, a trademark discussion is going to come up. And typically, Patents discussion will start to come up. So, I'd love to talk a little bit about each of those and kind of how the process works. So, uh, the trademark is kind of the low hanging fruit that I think most of our clients are going to be really interested in understanding. But, would you mind giving a nice overview on what that is and what that looks like?
1: Yeah, and probably what would be helpful is just kind of give an overview of the the umbrella in general and kind of what yeah. each of them are, because sometimes you'll have people say, hey, I've got a great uh, brand or a great logo. I need to go get a patent on it or or vice versa, those type of things. <laughs> Perfect. And so I yeah. think it's one where it's oftentimes easy to get them mixed up. Um, so with that, so there's an umbrella term, which is kind of in a term that has multiple terms underneath it, which is intellectual property. So in general, intellectual property includes patents, trademarks, copyrights. So somebody says intellectual property, they can be referring to one or all of the above. Within that, what are patents, trademarks, and copyrights? So well, if you're to think of patents, patents are really anything that's for an invention. So and it does something, it has a functionality, it has a utility that's going to be under patents and that you use patents to protect it. Trademarks are going to be for brands. So anything that's on the branding side, a name of a company, name of a product, a logo, a catchphrase, those type of things are all going to fall under um, trademarks. And copyrights are going to be more on the creative side. So if you're to think of a picture, a photo, a sculpture, a painting, a book, a video, all of those things are going to be under copyrights so or anything on the creative side. So just as you're kind of looking at those and, and trying to delineate what do I need or what should I be thinking about, those are the different areas that you can, and sometimes you have one, you have two, you have all three, or you have none of them, but those are what you should be looking at is what what is your business, what are you looking to protect, and then which category do I fall under?
0: Ah, okay, great. And how do you, you know, in, in helping someone determine, you know, if we went through each of those categories, then if you, that was great. Overview. Thank you. How how would you then start working with a person that's maybe saying, "Well, maybe I should I copyright this, or should I trademark or patent this?" Walk will you walk through that process a little?
1: Yeah, and it absolutely. And it's usually kind of a two two pronged approach, which is, hey, if you had unlimited budgets, which very few, if any, startups or small businesses, or even medium sized businesses, have unlimited budgets, or you have if you have a budget, you still want to be conscientious of the cost. And so, sure. If you had unlimited budgets, I'd say go do all three because it will, you know, it, it does have a return and gives you a, a la- added layer of protection. But in reality, we all work within budgets, and usually, if you're a startup or a small business, you have uh, more things to spend money on than money to spend. And so, it's a matter of now let's triage it or let's kind of put it in order of priority. And so, every business is different, and every business has different value. And I think that's where you typically start at. So, if you're looking at your business and you're saying. What is the core value of our business? In other words, what is the thing that drives the money, drives the value, and what makes our business unique and successful? And for some businesses, that is, hey, we are a great or great product company. I we are really innovative. We create new and different unique products, or you know, we can make different, you know, we're working on the next best iPhone. It's gonna just revolutionize the industry, or we're working on this great widget. In that case, if you're saying that's the core of our business, that's what we focus on. We're a technology or innovative company, then you should be looking to protect those via patents and get that or put that as an asset. On the other hand, you may say, no, we really don't invent anything, but we are really good at branding. We can do better SEO than everybody else. We have a better reputation, better customer service. We have you know ability to get out and do great sales. Then you're really building a brand, and then you'd be saying, well, we we really need to focus primarily on trademarks. But on the other hand, you're saying, no, I'm an author. I'm writing the next best Tom Clancy or Harry Potter or whatever, you know, whatever book that might be, choose your genre. Then you're saying that's where your value is. And really, you're going to want to focus on the copyright. So the first thing that we typically do is sit down and say, what is the value of your company? Where is that core value that you really want to protect? Let's start with that, make sure that the core is, is protected. And then as time, money, and ability allows, then you can branch out and continue to pre- uh, further that protection and, and uh, continue to invest in those assets.
0: I see. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And so then when you are working with your clients and going through it, uh, I, I liked how you have a very straightforward and direct uh, on your website and information that that's come across. It's very straightforward. It's very direct and very, uh, what I think, is small business friendly. So, um, as someone that's coming into this and is new to maybe for the first time, they have to really start thinking about this. A lot of our clients are are that mom and pop operator that have now they're past that mom and pop stage. They're really successful, and now they're saying, "Wow, I might be looking at a regional or a national expansion." And I, and, and my franchise consultant that I just hired recommended, told me I need to get a trademark filed. Uh, Mm -hmm. so what, what does that look like? How do you work with clients? And we walk through that trademarking process.
1: Yeah. So first thing is after we have that conversation to your point, say, okay, the core value of what our business is in a lot of franchises, especially if you're in the service-based industry is going to be on the brand. That's what you're selling. That's your reputation. What makes McDonald's so valuable? They have a very strong brand. Whether or not you like to eat McDonald's food, we will go down that path, some people love it, some people think it's it's not their favorite, but they have a strong brand that everybody recognizes. And so to your point, you say, okay, now the core value is our trademark. Well, then what do we need to know? Well, one of the first things is, you know, I would always recommend, and I know it's a bit of a biased answer, but sit down with an attorney and actually walk through what you're doing, because they're going to give you some tailored advice, more specific to your business us and I know other attorneys, some attorneys, other attorneys do it. We'll do a free strategy meeting where you'll sit down and you'll kind of talk through what is your business. I'll give the shameless plug that if they want to grab some time with me, they can go to strategymeeting.com and that grabs some time. But whether it's with me or with anybody else, grab that time. Now, the other things you consider and say, hey, that's great. I'll go talk with the attorney in a minute. But I want to know exactly a little bit of before what I dive into what I'm looking at so a trademark, there's a couple different trademarks or types of trademarks you should consider as far as what you want to protect. So one is called a word mark. The other one's called a design mark. And a word mark kind of sounds like what it is, which is it is for protecting of the word. So I always like to use the example of Nike. So Nike has a word mark for Nike. You want to use the word Nike, they own it. They also have the Nike swoosh, which is design. It's a design mark because it's not the word, it's, an, it's something that has an aesthetic nature a look and feel to it. So you think the Nike swoosh, you think the Apple logo, you think the Starbucks mermaid, you think whichever one it is, those are all design marks. And so each of those are two separate things that you can protect. Now the question is oftentimes, well, which one should I protect? And again, if you have the bandwidth and the budget, I would protect both. But if you're saying I don't have the budget and I'm just trying to start out and get some protection, my general recommendation is, is go for the word mark because it's generally broader. In other words, it's stopping others from using those words. But there are exceptions. Let's say in within your business, your core is really, they. hey, you have a great logo. But that's what people, when they see that kind of cashew and unique looking logo, that's what they associate with your brand. Then that's where your core is. And then you go and protect the logo first. So first is, is to realize that there's a couple different types of or trademarks. The other thing is, and then I'll walk through a little bit of the process is, okay, so once you get some of that basic understanding, the other thing, the way trademarks work is you have to indicate the products or the services you're going to be using for the trademark. So I'll go back to Nike as an example. Nike has a trademark for Nike, and it is for athletic wear, sports gear, apparel. It's what they sell. It's what they do. They don't have restaurants. So theoretically, now I don't know that I'd recommend it, but you theoretically you could go and you could start Nike Restaurant because it's different than all the products they offer. Now, Nike is famous enough, they'll probably come after you and sue you anyway, but theoretically you could do it. And so when you file your trademarks, it's not that you can stop anybody from using this word for any in any circumstance, it's for your types of products and your services that you're using it for. So that's kind of the base knowledge, have that a bit in mind. Now, once you have that in mind, what you'll go in is you'll go and sit down with an attorney, and they'll walk through a lot of what I just said. What are you wanting to protect? Is it the word? Is it the logo? Is it both? And then they'll go through the pricing structure. You know, pricing structure can vary a bit, but it's typically something along the lines of, there is a cost uh, to prepare a trademark application. And then for each of those categories, each of those classes that you're going to file your trademark in, you have to pay an additional governmental fee. So as an example for us, if you are to do a trademark application with one class or one category, so if you're Nike, You're also one category of athletic wear, sports gear and apparel, that was all one category. It'd be 850. Let's say you were Nike and you said, we're gonna do athletic wear, sports gear and apparel. We're also gonna go do spaceships. And I'm just making it up. But, um, and so that's another category. You have to pay an additional fee. So for us, it's an additional 450 for that second category. And you have to pay for each of those categories because the government wants you to pay for each of those categories. So generally you'll go, you'll get the sit down attorney, figure out which one you want what the cost is gonna be. Then uh, the attorney will typically recommend those categories or classes you consider. Draft up an application, you file it uh, or you approve it, then you file it. Then once you file it, so that's all the process just to get the trademark application filed. The next thing that will happen is you sit and you file with the government, you sit in a queue for about six months. Government puts you in the queue and says, when you get to the top, we'll take a look at it. And we've got all these in line before you. Government slowed about or just what this is about everything and including with trademarks. And so it takes about six months to get to the top of the queue, And then they're going to look at it for one or primarily one or one standard, which is, is it confusingly similar with anybody else that's out there? Now, what does that mean? That means if you wanted to go start your athletic wear, sports gear, and apparel company and the name of your company was spelled N-I-K-E-E. So you add an extra E. Guess what? You're going to get a rejection because most consumers, when they think of, they're seeing Nike with two E's and Nike with one E, they're probably gonna think it's the same company or very similar or has a relation. So they're gonna, the trademark office is gonna say, look, this is confusingly similar with with, with what's already out there and we're gonna reject it. Or they're gonna say, looks good, no no issues with what's already out there and they'll allow it. You get a rejection, get an opportunity to respond and say, examiner, you're wrong. That's Nike with one E, and everybody knows Nike with two E's is completely different. Now, I don't think you're go- that's gonna work, but you make those type of an arguments. So or again, say, hey, Nike does athletic wear, sports gear, apparel, they do spaceships, we're doing a restaurant, we're completely different. Nobody thinks that Nike is gonna open up a restaurant. So you have an opportunity to go back and forth, either convince the examiner, that it's going to be allowable, trademarkable, or they're going to say, nope, abandon all hope, it's just not worthwhile to pursue. So that in a much condensed nutshell is a the process of going through the trademarks kind of from A to Z. Yeah.
0: And and as you described, it can be very lengthy, right? I mean, it, you said it's just six months in the queue just to get to an examiner. And just for sake of a rough ballpark range, what, what could the time look like once you reach that six-month marker then?
1: Yeah, usually if you go straight through the process, you don't get any rejections and it's a fairly seamless, they're saying no likelihood of confusion, no issues, looks like you're perfect. Then it's usually around seven months or so to get through the process. If you're getting some where there's some rejection, you're having to respond back to the examiner. I would say usually average about 50% of the time you get straight through 50% of the time you're having to address some of the concerns of the examiner. You're usually more like nine to eleven months if you're having to address some concerns. So somewhere between that seven to eleven month mark is is generally to get through that that full process.
0: Ah, okay, all right. That that's very helpful. Thank you. And um, I I I'd love if you have time here to share with us a little bit about how the patent process works. I get asked a lot about patents. It's something I know very little about. and uh, But every once in a while, we'll have clients that are curious, should I patent this process or patent this or that? And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the process and kind of how that all works.
1: Yeah. So what I'll probably do is back it up just a little bit because a lot of the question kind of went before that is, should i get a patent is really is what i doing patentable in other words that's really the heart of the question it's less should i get a patent well if yeah what you have something that's valuable and patentable then you should probably go get a patent but does't meet those standards or those criteria so when you get to patents there are kind of three standards for patentability we'll just walk through those quickly and they're what they're basically called is novelty obviousness and abstraction novelty basically means has anybody else previously invented this if somebody else has already invented it guess what? You can't get a patent on something that's already been invented. You're not the first inventor. Sorry, but you don't meet that criteria. So the second or second standard is obviousness and obviousness basically, means, well, not one person invented it, but if you were to take two or more things around the marketplace, you're going to put them together. That's basically what you've done. And you're really not adding anything new. You're just putting a couple things that are already out there together in an obvious way that doesn't add anything unique or new. And again, if you don't, if you're obvious, you can't get a patent. And then the third or the third standard is what's called abstraction. And so that abstraction basically means what you're not able, and it's usually more to do with um software, sometimes to do with kind of methods type of or processes, but we're not able to do is do something that people have traditionally done in their head on pen and paper, and all you're doing is going and sticking it on a computer or on a smartphone and calling it new. So give you the easy example. Let's say you want or you know. Everybody knows how to do two plus two equals four. You learn it in school, you memorized it, you can do it in your head or you can do it on pen and paper. It's easy, right? Let's say you're the first person to think, well, I should go put this on a phone. Guess what? You can't go get a patent on having the phone do two plus two equals four because everybody's already done it on their head, done it on a pen and paper, doesn't meet that criteria. So now doesn't mean you can't get a software patent. We do software patents all the time. And usually that criteria is there's a, you, typically a lot more behind that. So a lot of times if you're doing data analytics, you're doing a notifications, you're doing alarms, you're doing inputs and outputs, you're doing recommendations, you're, you're managing data, you're doing all of those things are not just something you do on your head or on pen and paper, but there's a lot more to it. So that's what you kind of have to look. So if you, so the first thing is, is are you novel? Are you not obvious? And you not are you not abstract? If you meet those three criteria, then you can at least say, okay, I've got a reasonable shot at getting a patent, or at least appear that I meet those criteria. Not that you're ever going to know perfectly. You're never going to know 100%. Absolutely. I know those. You know that nobody else has ever invented this, or it's not an obvious combination, but at least you should kind of have that initial, hey, do I think I have a reasonable shot at that? Now, once you do that, same thing, go talk to an attorney, they'll walk through the process. Basically, what you're having to do in a nutshell is you'll work with an attorney to get the description of all of your invention. And they're going to go into much more detail than you're ever going to want to know uh, if you ever thought. Usually, they, because a lot of times people come out office. say, oh, I, this is a simple invention. I can write it up on one page and then I'll say, well, let's walk through it. Like, how do you use a product? How do you manufacture a product? What are the different components of it? How do all the different components go together? Are there certain ways that you can do it? Are there certain ways that you can do it? What are the pictures? What are the figures? How do we describe it? And by the end, it's usually more like a 20 plus page document and it's not a one pager. And so it is a much more detailed process. But the reason is, is you're trying to describe just describe your invention enough detail that somebody else in the industry would be able to understand it and be able to replicate it that's kind of the what level of detail you're wanting and usually you can't do that in a page no matter how smart or simple you think it is one page isn't going to do it but now you get all the details you worked in there with an attorney you get all the details they'll get it pulled together you get it filed then you get a wait in the queue and you thought that six months you know to get to the top of the trademark queue is long patents are much more backlog it's usually about uh, 12 to 18 months before you get to the top of the queue Get to the top of the cube, very similar to trademarks. They're going to go through, they're going to say, do you meet these three standards? Novelty, obviousness, abstraction. You meet the standards, great, issued patent. If you don't meet the standards, they're going to give a rejection. They're going to say, no, you don't meet this either. You don't, you're not novel, you're not obvious, you're abstract. And then you get an opportunity to go back and forth and argue with the examiner you can clarify, maybe you start out really broad. You're saying, we cover a lot of ground. And then when you find out what else is out there, you have to narrow it, you don't have as much ground. So in real estate example, let's think you own 10 acres. In reality, you own one acre. So you have to say, no, okay, I don't really own those 10 acres. I own this one acre. So you go back and forth with the examiner. In the, the process, they'll either say, yep, patented, it's good. you convince us it's the patentability. Or at some point you're gonna say, well, we've gone back and forth the examiner. It looks like we're not making any progress. And we're just going to let it go, abandon, and otherwise not pursued anymore. So much more complicated process. But if you're going to take that, try and put it in a nutshell. That's as good as I could do to try and summarize
0: it. <laughs> well, that was great. That, uh, clearly, there is a lot involved with that process. And you summarized it extremely well and very concise. So thank you for that. And And well, let's just continue down the pathway here. Let's jump into the copyright conversation. I'd love for you to walk through that.
1: Yeah, so copyrights, I think I like it. copyrights is they're the simplest. So that makes it easy. So we went, we kind of went from middle middle difficulty, which is trademarks. Then we jumped to the most difficult. Now I get to wrap up with the easiest. So copyrights are generally there aren't a lot of standards for copyrights, and which is typically good. Um, but the main thing is, is that you are the original creator. In other words, you can't go take someone else's picture or someone else's book or sculpture, say, well, I'm going to be the first. to." Co- they ha- doesn't look like they've copyrighted it. I'm just going to go copyright it before them. No, you have to be the original creator, the person that came up with it. And as long as you've done that, the only other standard is you have to put it in a tangible medium. What does that mean? Can't be up in your head you have a picture, go take the picture. You're doing a sculpture, you have to actually make the sculpture. If you're writing a book, you have to actually write the book. You can't say, well, I'm going to write a book about this. I haven't written it yet, but I want to copy or copyright it before I write the book. It doesn't work that way. You have to actually make it before you copyright it. Once you do that, you just, or you'd, uh, similar, you sit down with an attorney, they'd get some basic information. What is the copyright? Is it a book? Is it a sculpture? Is the painting? get us the material, you know, either the or a picture of the sculpture, get us the, a picture of the painting, get us a transcript of the, the book or whatever that might be, and then you file it. Most of the time when you file it, unless you mess something up on the filing, it's just going to get copyrighted. They're going There is very little to no examination other than to make sure you fill out the paperwork, right? And then it gets put, um, it actually goes to the Library of Congress. So they just basically put it in the digital format of the Library of Congress, gets cataloged there, and there you don't do a lot more with it. It goes, it usually takes three to four months to get it all the way through the process. And most of that is just waiting for them to process it, um, get it or get it to, in the, the Library of Congress and away you go. So those ones are pretty simple. The only other question that sometimes will pop up is, hey, once if I have multiple things I want to copyright, When's if I have, you know, I come up with caricatures for my for my next, you know, for my to- kids' toys, and we have five different types of kids' toys that all have different caricatures or, you know, a cartoon or a video or whatever that might be. Can I do it each as each individual? do I have to do it each individually as your own copyright or can I do it as one? The general answer is you can do it as one, but you don't always want to. And I'll walk you through. So, on a cost perspective, you want to, you know, certainly you do it as one, you have to pay less and it's, you know, you get it all done at the same time. The only main reason why you'd want to sometimes split it out and do multiple copyrights is let's say you want to go license it, or you want to go sell one. So kind of in almost in the franchising, but let's say you have some great content. And you're saying, hey, we have this content over here, here's a viral video. We also have these characters or these cartoons that are, you know, the characters for the for the franchise that we use for branding purposes. And we also have, you know, some great copyrighted material that is written up material that uh, tells our story. You could. Technically, probably put them all in the same one, but a lot of times you're going to want to separate them out so that that viral video you can license, sell, or otherwise or utilize separate from the content you've created. So a lot of times you have to look and see, does it make sense to try and get it or pack it all in, or do I want to maintain the ability to Separate those out and otherwise franchise, license it, do other agreements with each of them separately. But that's usually copyrights. They're the easiest. They're usually the least expensive. Usually, copyrights are a few hundred dollars. Trademarks are upwards of, you know, around uh, $800 to $1,000. Patents are usually around $6,000 to $9,000, depending on if you go to the East Coast or you go to non East Coast.
0: Ah. Okay, great. Well, uh, that was a phenomenal overview on each of those and the application to it. So uh, you've given a great uh, summary. So anyone that's tuning in here is that that's going to listen in as as you're thinking about your own business, how that applies. uh, Devin, it sounds like your firm offers a free kind of strategy session, which sounds like a great opportunity for folks to dial into. And what was the website again for that?
1: Yeah. And we call it a strategy meeting. And I'll give you the reason why. Because the website is strategymeeting.com. Ah, um, so <laughs> so and the, the, the two-second aside. So I actually wanted to do strategy session when I started out and I went and looked on it. They wanted like an exorbitant, like it was like $15, $20,000 for that URL. I'm like, well, I don't really want to spend fifty dollars to $20,000. So I'm like, what's another way to say strategy session? I said, well, it's really just a meeting. Let's see if strategy meeting's open. Wouldn't bought that for like 20 bucks on, uh, on GoDaddy. And so because of that, yeah, the, the short answer to that long aside was, is it we offer a 15, 20 minute free consults or strategy meetings where we sit down, talk through a little bit more specific about your business answer your questions give you some ideas some directions what costs you might be considering what deadlines you might be aware of and it kind of gives you you know it's not going to answer do all your legal work it's not going to answer all of your questions but it gives you that direction and, and gives get you started and to do that just go to strategymeeting.com and that links right to my calendar it's an easy way to connect up with me easy to grab or grab some time with me if it's on if it's there it's on my calendar you're more than welcome to grab that
0: time great. Great. Thank you. And and one of the things I liked about um, prior to, to the interview here that I like about what you do, you've got very transparent public pricing available for folks to see kind of how services, it's easy to engage and talk to. And so you know exactly what to expect going in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of, as we almost kind of started the interview was, is we're set up for startups and small businesses. Now, we have a few larger clients that we also work with. But really, when I founded the firm about three years ago, it was I love working with startups and small businesses. Not only in my law firm, I've also done a lot of startups and small businesses. And so I set it up to say, what are some of the things that make it difficult for startups, small businesses, even medium sized business a lot of times to get into this? You know, as one is nobody, everybody feels like they have no idea what this is going to cost them. They just get a, a blank check that they turn over to the attorney. They do some time, magically it gets done, and then they get a bill that's always more than they expect. And so, one of the things we did is say, "Hey, let's put a lot more transparency in the prices." We work almost, almost primarily, or almost exclusively on flat fees. So, flat fees include our fees, turning time, uh, governmental fees, everything you need to get something filed. And so that's one thing that we do. The other thing that you didn't mention that uh, definitely we also try and be helpful is we also put it on uh, a lot of times payment plans. And so we were saying, mm-hmm. hey, if you can't, you can, you got two options to pay for it. You need to do that upfront if you have the budget. Or you can also split it up into four payments over four months. So a lot of times it makes it easy to say, hey, this is a good investment, but we can't do it all up front. We have to budget it with everything else we have going on. And so you can also do the payment plan. So we have a lot of those type of things where we do flat fees, we do payment plans, we have a ton of content, we do strategy meetings, and we do all of those really to help startups and small businesses so that they can get going. And then it makes it an easier process for them.
0: Excellent excellent well and uh, devin this is a great time for us to make the transition so before every guest goes we ask we ask the same four questions and so the first question we'd like to ask every guest is uh, throughout your career have you had a miss or two along the way and something you learned from it yeah
1: and I thought about I don't know if I have a pure miss in the sense that there what now there are plenty of ideas that I think that would be fun to still pursue but I in, I always don't, I never have enough time, money and effort to do every idea that I have, but that probably the biggest miss was, and it's what I hear a lot, what I would call a miss is I hear a lot from other startups and I have the same feeling is, is I wish I'd gotten started earlier with doing my own business. In other words, you know, look at the opportunity. First of all, I love it. I enjoy it. It's, you know, it's what I'm passionate about. It makes it more fun. But for about, you know, I'm now about 10 years into my career for about six and a half or seven years of that time, I was working for other people. And while I got a lot of experience, I, I, they were great bosses, great employers, I was always kind of missing that. Hey, if I got started five years earlier, or four years earlier, how much farther would I be along? What would I be doing more? And so my miss is more of, I wish I'd started earlier on the businesses I'm doing now because I love it and I'm passionate about it. And it's my, it, it just makes it for a lot more fun time.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, how about a make or two that you could share with us?
1: Yeah, so the make. I'll go back to so one of and I mentioned I do, I've done several startups and small businesses in addition to the law firm. So I basically have two passions. I love the law side of, of intellectual property. I also love startups and small businesses. So that's been my whole career where I've kind of pursued both of them. And the make that I would probably say is so the very first business that I ever did was while I was in or doing my dual degree, doing the law degree as well as the MBA degree, and um, you know. Paint the picture at the time I was doing the law degree, I was in the MBA degree. I had a two year old. We just had a newborn. I was working 20 hours as a law clerk. And then I also decided that I wanted to do a business competition, which was, you know, why not just add one more thing? And so I, it was a business competition. I joined uh, three other people. It's kind of one of those where you get in those meetings, you don't know anybody, you form a group, and away you go. So I met a few other people. We formed our group, made, or entered the competition first year. We had a stupid, I don't know, a stupid idea. It was never going to go anywhere, which is it made gym bags less smelly, which is kind of a fun idea. It never had, had any business opportunity to it. But the second year we got together and uh, we were brainstorming. And one of the, the idea that I came up with that we stuck with was to do what was a watch or a wearables for um, for hydration monitoring. So if you think of athletes, if you think of military uses, you think of elderly care, all of these. And this was in well before the days of Fitbits and iWatch, or watches or anything else. And so that was the business I started, entered in the competition. And then I, um, at the end, we took second place, which is still better sweet because I think we should have taken first. But then I bought out the competitor, or I bought out not competitors, the um, partners in the business with other people who are part of the team and continue to pursue that. Long story short, is that business is still going, it's evolved and adjusted. Now we're doing much more in the diabetes uh, monitoring system, which utilizes a lot of the same technology. It's now a bigger business. I've stepped back. I'm not as day-to-day managing, but I still have to participate in the business. And that was one that was probably one that I, you know, I was busy. I could have made excuses, but I did it while I was doing everything else. And it's been a, it's been a fun time and it's been a great business to continue to develop.
0: Oh, that's amazing! What a fun story, and and certainly great for your clients and working with small business and startups. That you know, you're you're in that same bucket. You've been there and through it. In addition to your your firm, but uh, other businesses you're involved with. I love it. Absolutely. Um, well, how about a multiplier? We ask, has have you used a multiplier as you've grown professionally, personally?
1: Yeah. So probably I would give a couple, or I, I'll jump on one. I was going to give a couple, but I'll, I'll narrow it down to one, which is the multiplier that we we use with a lot of my businesses and is automation. Now, automation has a bad name and rightly so, because there's a lot of times where it's done really horrible. And in my mind, when I think of automation done poorly, it's that, hey, I call up customer service, there's a phone tree where I have to dial this number, and then I dial this number, and then I dial this number, and then I get to the wrong person, and then they transfer me and I got disconnected, and then I get to start all over again. Or it's a, the chat bot on the bottom of the website that is isn't really a person, and I keep trying to get help, and it keeps giving me these articles that really don't solve my problem, Those are all terrible automations that don't work, but we do is a lot more in the background automation. So a lot of the things that we are doing on a repetitive basis, routine basis, we're saying, hey, we have to do client follow-ups. We have to do reporting things out. We wanna make sure things are taken care of. We do those on a routine basis. And there's a lot of things that we can automate. It allows us to scale. It allows us to reduce the amount of errors. It reduces our costs, but it also allows us to multiply our business and provide better service, more service to other people and reduce our costs. And so it's really allowed us to multiply our business by automating the things that can and should be automated, but also freeing up time so we can really have the one-on-one direct customer interaction. In other words, we do a strategy, meeting. I talk with everybody one-on-one. If I was having to do all the things that we'd automated, there'd be no time left in the day. And so it's really allowed us to kind of multiply and, and uh, to grow where we otherwise couldn't.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, and by the way, if you want to share another one, I'm, we're we're open to it. If you want to share a second.
1: <laughs> all right, I'll go with a second. Just uh, I want to be sensitive to, uh, to other people's time and I don't want to make the podcast run over, but I'd love to share, which is another one that I love is um, social listening. Now, social listening i don't mean it by the contextual so the normal if you're to go google social listening it is one where basically you go and monitor your brand online in other words you monitor and see what other people are saying about your brand what other comments and things that were being posted that's not what i mean by social listening what we do is a bit different is we listen for people that are looking online for recommendations in other words they're putting it out on linkedin or facebook or other social media and they're saying hey i need a recommendation i need someone does anybody know does it need does somebody need help here does anybody know now we're a little bit more sophisticated in how we do it but we listen for those people that are asking for those recommendations they're already high intent they're looking to or get into this and it would apply to the same thing with franchise anybody know a good franchise anybody know anybody that's looking to anybody know how to do a trademark and it's one of those that if you listen there are a lot of people that are looking for recommendations looking for guidance and if you listen for those they can make it so that you can grow your business a lot quicker because you're addressing people and you're helping people out that are in need of it.
0: Excellent. I love it. I love that. And well, and the final question we'd like to ask every guest is what does success mean to you?
1: Yeah. And I mean, certainly, I think to a degree, everybody defines success by money. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not an exception. I, I don't want to be poor. Nobody wants to be poor. Everybody likes to have a comfortable lifestyle. Now, what does that mean? Comfortable can mean a lot of things to different people. So I mean, some people, that means I have to have millions of dollars. Other people, this means I, I want to be able to pay my bills. So for me, it's one, I have a comfortable lifestyle. That I can, uh, you know, support my family, support their needs, make sure everybody's taken care of, and that uh, we're not living paycheck to paycheck. So that's one thing with success. But probably the bigger thing with success is at least for business. Now, success to me means I have a good family. I, I'm there for my kids. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. So I'm taking that a bit out of off the table in the sense I'm focusing more on business success. But if I were to say what is my true success, has nothing to do with business and everything to do with family. Within business or for success. You know, the other thing is really that I have the ability to pursue the uh, things that I want to pursue. In other words, I'm able to direct, you know, the direct the business. I, I answer to my, me, myself and I, I'm able to implement. If I have a crazy idea that I want to go try out, I don't have to run it through a committee after committee. I don't have to get permission. We can try it out today, see if it works. And if not, it bombs and we move on or we can try it. So it's a bit of that. Freedom to direct the direct my career my the course of my life and not be reliant on, on a boss or someone else that allows or that uh, is going to be directing it for me. So financial success, be comfortable enough that I can uh, that I can live my life, but more so have the freedom to be able to direct the business as I as I desire to. If I can do those two things, I'm successful in business. If I can be a good husband and father, I have a successful life.
0: Ah, oh, fantastic. Well, and as we bring this to a conclusion, is there anything you were hoping to maybe get across or share that you haven't had a chance to yet?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I were to kind of wrap it up and we haven't touched on as much, but the thing that I would probably hit on is in a business, I think the best thing you can do is have a course of action. You can have a game plan. Now, I fully understand that that game plan is at some point is going to go out the window, it's going to change, it's going to adjust, it's going to pivot. And you, a very seldom does a business, how it starts out is not where it ends up. So the business plan is not to say, here's our rigid plan that we have to stick to it. But one, it allows you for milestones that you have to hit to be successful. In other words, hey, do we really need a patent or a trademark in order to be successful? Do we need to have so much sales or so much, you know, so many customers in order to hit quantity of sales that we can actually be profitable? In other words, have those milestones and those in place so that you know what those milestones are. And then you can pivot and adjust around those as you need to, to make the business successful. And the other thing that the plan does is it allows you to convince yourself that this is going to be a hard journey. No business is going to be easy. It's not like the movies or the books or the television shows. It's not the overnight success. You have a good idea and it can you, know, you all of a sudden tomorrow you wake up a millionaire. It's 10 years in the making. Overnight successes are 10 years in the making. You have to get the experience. You have to do the work. You have to get the sales. You have to build the team. You have to fail. You have to pick yourself back up. All of those. And so the, that plan in place, convinces you that while you're going through all these things, that it's a worthwhile endeavor and it, it makes sense to continue to push through because you've already convinced yourself that this will in the end be worth it. So get that plan in place, realize it's going to change, but it's still worth
0: having. Devin, thank you so much for a fantastic interview. And let's go ahead and jump into today's three key takeaways. So takeaway number one is when Devin was talking about questions to ask yourself to help identify if you need to protect intellectual assets or intellectual property in your business. And he said, ask yourself, what is it that makes your business different? And then he followed up by asking, are you innovative? Are you a branding or marketing company? Are you creating things? And if you answer yes to any one of those or multiple of those about each one of these makes your business different then you probably should consider taking advantage of Devin's free consultation or talking with an intellectual property attorney. Takeaway number two is how he gave a really clear, concise description of a patent, trademark, and copyright. And he said, a patent is anything that is an invention or has utility. A trademark is a brand, a logo, or a catchphrase. And a copyright Is something like a picture, a sculpture, a book, or a video. And I thought there was a really concise way to be be able to clarify the difference. Takeaway number three is when Devin talked about a multiplier he used or uses, and he uses social listening as a way to identify prospective customers for his business. And maybe that's something you could do for your business. And he said how he uses social listening is he listens in these Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups and is listening for people, for his business in particular, that might be searching for a trademark referral or recommendation or maybe for a patent attorney referral or recommendation. And so maybe that's something you could apply to your business. How could you use that strategy and maybe finding a new place to find customers? And now it's time for today's win-win. So today's win-win is that intellectual property protects your business and business assets. And it's important for you to review what intellectual property assets your business might have that should get a trademark, copyright, patent-oriented around, and that by protecting these intellectual assets that you have, it will help your business to maintain a competitive advantage number 1 and number 2 having these intellectual property assets will help you in being able to expand your business through franchising and giving your franchisees something to have help them protect their business and help differentiate their business it will help to protect your brand any technology systems tools things that you're creating it will help protect that locally Regionally, nationally, as you start to expand your company and all of that in turn will provide for a greater value in your business as a whole when you're ready to sell or ready to exit whenever that might be, whether it's selling the business or at some point passing that down to the next generation.